now we've got, a, we've got a real treat for you now. So we're going to have our first part of our Bible drama. So if I ask you to come up and get ready. In the meantime, if you can uh, open your Bibles, you can follow along with us as we go. You'll be able to find it in Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 17. Okay, so that's going to be Matthew chapter 3. That can be found on page 967 of your church Bibles. So that's page 967, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Okay? Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him. I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Bible drama is from Matthew 4, 1 to 11, and can be found on page 967. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Um, all of this, I will, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Chris will now speak to us. And good morning, church. Thank you, Pathfinders and your leaders, for all that you did for today's service. Uh, it's been good so far. Uh, reminded of the church, especially for those who are maybe of a little bit younger age, uh, there is folders at the back with sermon notes you can write in uh, that will help you to concentrate a little bit. And there is a space at the back of the carpeted hall where the, the, the service is being streamed. 
And if you need to just a little bit of space to move or some toys to play with, that is available for you as well. But I'm going to begin today's service off with a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols in your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This commandment was for Jesus' parents, especially when he was at the age of jam and pathfinders. Mary and Joseph, like every other Jewish parent, were commanded to teach the first five books of the Bible to their children, especially the book of Deuteronomy, which was the second reading of the law just before Moses died. Uh, these books are what Jesus memorized. Much like we memorized the Old Testament order of the books, Jesus memorized the books of Deuteronomy. And this is what he answers in, the, in this passage today. Um, we see him answering from the, to the devil from this book all the time. The Bible doesn't say a lot about Jesus' younger years. Um, in Luke 3.23, as we look at the same passage, it tells us that Jesus was about 30 years old when this happened. This is quite a big jump in our, in our story. He's already 30 years old. Uh, but we, we, we see the way that Jesus speaks, that he has memorized and spent time in the book of Deuteronomy. So we come to our first Bible reading, baptization, and we see that Jesus is baptized. Jesus is about to begin his recorded ministry, and so the first thing that he does, the first verse that we read, was he travels from Galilee to the Jordan River. Um, now I tried to look up how far that was, and it does depend on where Jesus was before he started, and where actually John was baptizing. But some scholars say it probably took about two days on foot to get there. So this wasn't a case of Jesus saying, oh, John's baptizing, maybe I'll just go and get that done and check it off my to-do list. Jesus knew that as he at this age of life, he was about to begin his ministry. He had to do something that took him at least two days to walk there and maybe two days to walk back. Um, as Jesus prepares for this, 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 this change in his life, he knows that he has to fulfill all righteousness. But there is a problem. As you heard last week as, as Bart was preaching, John is waiting for someone to come whose sandals he's not worthy to carry. He's waiting for a person who would baptize him with Holy Spirit and with fire. And so we see John's words when Jesus comes to be baptized. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? These were man's words. John's words were asking Jesus, uh, did you get this wrong? Um, is it supposed to be the other way around? You know, the baptism of John was about confessing your sin and repenting. And Jesus had never really sinned before. Shouldn't he be baptizing John? Like all of us, John had sinned. He had come short of the glory of God. But Jesus corrects him. Jesus says he's not being baptized because of his sins, but because it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. 
And with that consent and with the action of baptism, we hear Jesus being spoken to by God and to others about Jesus. The voice from heaven came and said, This is my son whom I love. I am well pleased. These were God's words. Now, I always, when I read this, I always think of Jesus. Obviously, seeing the dove come down, recognizing God speaking to you. But can you imagine John's face? Can you imagine John hearing this voice? Um, his words had only been words of doubt, but here were God's words of truth. This is my son. And maybe John begins thinking about Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. This sounds very familiar. This looks very familiar. Passage goes on. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not fetter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth and in his teaching the islands will put their hope. John, looking at Jesus, could see that Jesus was the suffering servant of Isaiah. He could begin to believe that maybe this was the Messiah. Maybe the Messiah had come. John was getting moved up. Jesus himself must have had some emotions. Upon hearing God's approval that he was about to begin his ministry, he must have been in a high point of his life. The Spirit confirming for himself and everyone else that he was God's son. He was ready to go ahead. I think the same is true for us at times. I think there are times when we aren't sure if we're hearing God's voice. When we hear people telling us something different, and maybe what other people sound says sounds a little bit reasonable. Maybe what they are saying is not the same as what God has said, but it seems to make a little bit of sense. But then we choose to obey God, and suddenly we have this validation from God. We know that we know that we know that what God has said is true. And we come to this place where we spiritually are, where we emotionally are. We know that we are following God's words. I think for some of us that happens when we first hear God's voice and we know that God is real and he calls us to be part of his family. We become super excited. Uh, some Christians would say, that person is on fire for the Lord. Other Christians might say that person is going through a mountaintop experience. There's a huge rush of emotions. And when you read the Bible, everything makes sense to you. And you know that God is with you. What a wonderful place to be. What a feeling it is when you know everything seems to be going right. God is with you. But we never seem to stay in that place. Because we know that being on earth, the purpose is to prepare us for eternity. And as we see Jesus leave his baptism and go immediately into the wilderness, being led by the Spirit to be tested. Is this normal? Jesus being tested? Is this fair? Why does the Spirit of God lead Jesus to a place of temptation? Why is it that God is the one who's taking Jesus to a place where he has to be tried. Remember that Matthew is writing this gospel to the Jewish nation. He wants people to see that Jesus came to fulfill what has been written. And so is this pattern of 
emotional high and then testing a regular thing in the Bible. Adam and Eve were tested in the garden immediately after God created them. The nation of Israel, often referred to as God's son, went into the desert for 40 years following the amazing display of God's power over Egypt and receiving God's law at Mount Sinai. Even Elijah, after defeating the prophets of Baal, had a time of testing. This pattern is followed time and time again in the Bible. So yes, God does allow you to be tested, especially when you're a place where you're right with him. But we are so grateful for his word, which says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has taken, overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out that you can endure it. God allows testing and temptations to come our way, to allow us to grow in Christ. And in today's reading, it was to allow Jesus to show his trust in God's plan. God had just said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so we see this test being given by the tempter, by the devil, on those very words. Satan's words are, if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, if he's tempted me that way, I wouldn't be tempted. There's no ways I can turn stones to bread. But do you think Jesus could? Was this a real temptation? I mean, Jesus did take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people. He managed to make bread out of nothing and fish out of nothing, or expand what he had. He could do miraculous things. He created the whole world. Was he tempted to do this? Yes, of course. He'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Has anybody fasted 40 days and 40 nights? I'm pretty sure you'll be hungry after that, and you'll want to do anything to eat. So was he able? If he was able to do this, and he really was hungry, why was it wrong? Surely it would be okay. But for Jesus, remember what his jam and pathfinder's teaching had been, the book of Deuteronomy. And so when Jesus receives this temptation from the devil, he comes back to Satan with these words, God's words. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does that mean? Was Jesus hunger going to go away if he read the Bible? No. Jesus was saying that because the Spirit had led him to this place of fasting, he had to follow through with the Spirit's prompting, not the grumblings of his stomach. Obedience to God would allow him to go through the feeling of hunger. People in today's world quite often place their plans over God's plans. Our desire for, for stuff becomes so much more important than hearing God's plan for our lives. We want more and more things. It's called consumerism. Instead of wanting more and more of God. And when you choose things over a relationship with God, we fail this test that, job, that Jesus had just passed. And I think we all fail it often. But Jesus did not. 
He did not fail the test of wanting what his eyes were hungry for. So Satan tried again. And this time he used the Bible. If Jesus was going to use the Bible, he was going to use the Bible. So Satan's words are, The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest place in the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command the angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you'll not strike your foot against the stone. Again, was this true? Did the Bible really say that? Well, yes. Psalm 91 does say that. Could it really happen? Well, we look at the end of the passage in verse 11. Angels did come, and they did look after Jesus. So why not? Even though this was possible, and if Jesus was proud, he may have fallen for this temptation. But he answered with God's words. Jesus answered him, he said, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Just because it can happen, it does not mean that we should try and force God to prove himself. Jesus did not have to prove that he was the Son of God to the devil. God had already said so at his baptism. He did not have to test God to prove anything. He just had to believe the truth. Unfortunately, we see this all the time in our own lives, where people say they can command God to answer their prayers, like a, like a genie in a lamp. Uh, we see it happen in the book of Acts, chapter 19, with the sons of Sceva. We see it in some of the faith movements, where people don't go to a doctor because they believe that God will heal them. We even see it in social media in a new term called manifesting. Uh, and manifesting basically says, if you think about something enough and focus on it, you will receive it. The idea that if you want something, you mentally attend to it and you will it into existence. You can physically create something out of spirituality. It's very popular today. We see people try and force God to answer their prayers with promises of obedience. If only you will do this for me, then I will go to church every week. Uh, I will give a portion of my money to the church. But first, God, you do such and such for me. We should not put God to the test. We should not make our prayer life and our spiritual life based on how God will respond to us. Again, Satan tested him. And again, Jesus did not fail the test of wanting what his eyes saw. So Satan tried again. And this time, Satan tried to give him a shortcut to completing his ministry on earth. Again, the devil took him up to the very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. This was the reason why Jesus had left heaven. He had come down because he loved each one of us, all the people of the world. He had come down to suffer, to die for us. Jesus' purpose was to call all people back into relationship with him. God's plan was a difficult one. In fact, later on in his life, he would say, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. This was a difficult temptation. But he replied to Satan with God's words, Away from me, Satan, 
For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus now sends Satan away and waits on God. And God allows the angels to come and attend to him. Jesus had not failed the test of the pride of life. He was willing to give it all up for God's plan. How often do we, we want to find another way to God's plan? How often do we, we question God's sovereignty, his way of life, his way for our lives, his plans and his purposes for us? How often do we ask, why is this happening to me? Uh, is God really in control of every situation? How can God let this happen to me? I've served him for so long. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. For anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Satan tries the same type of testing over and over and over again in our lives. In fact, as you read this passage in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Satan was just waiting for a better time. This wasn't the final temptation of Jesus. This was just the beginning of his ministry. It happened over and over and over and over again. Satan is always looking for a time to tempt us when the opportunity arises. And we need to recognize it like Jesus did and respond like Jesus, saying, it is written. It is written. This is what the Bible says. And to do that, we have to follow Jesus as our example, as our model. What does this all mean for us? Firstly, we need to recognize that not everything we hear, not everything we read, and not everything we see is the plan of God. Sometimes it is the words of people and the rulers of this world trying to turn us away from God. And so like Jesus, we must spend time in the Bible so that when testing and tribulations come our way, when temptations come our way, we can know the truth of God's word and that truth can set us free. The world's words will tell us that the Bible is outdated, that this book is not true, it's not even relevant anymore. It's not translated correctly. It's not worth applying in our lives. We will hear that church and Christians are against society. We will hear that Christianity is against people's free right to choose how to live. We will hear that Christianity is not valid in life in the real world. But God's words are true. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. to And as you listen to me read this, Think about the society in which we live in, the news you've listened to, the people you've seen. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure 
rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their ways into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of truth. The chapter continues from verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know from those you've learned it, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Being trained for every good work, believe the Bible, believe God's words, follow the example of Jesus, and when tempted, answer with the Bible. Remember God's promises that when we are tempted, He provides a way of escape for us that we can endure it. The hard truth is, though, that most of us, maybe I can say all of us, have failed in all of these ways. We have desired and chosen material things before God. We've tried to convince God to prove Himself by answering our prayers or tried to make Him fulfill our wish lists. We've even tried to take shortcuts to His glory to try and avoid suffering and thereby failing to worship God alone. But there is good news. Hebrews chapter 2 says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that we might become a merciful, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. As we read this passage, we know that Jesus was tempted, and because he came through it, he is able to help us. He is able to strengthen us. He is able to allow us to get through that promise of 1 Corinthians 10.13. If you haven't highlighted in your Bible, don't highlight in the church Bibles, but highlight this in your Bible at home. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. Trust Jesus to show you a path that leads out of temptation towards God. God's word will always beat man's word. God's word will always beat Satan's words. And God's word will always beat the world's words. As our memory verse for the year says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We have the gospel. It is the power of God. And it will bring salvation to us as we believe. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the example of Jesus. I thank you that he prepared himself for ministry. He got baptized. He went through this emotional high of hearing God's voice. And then he went through the emotional low of being tempted and tested by the devil. But thank you that he used your word to overcome. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that we have your word in a, in a language we can understand, 
that we can spend time in, that we can memorize.